Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. We have as our guest today, Mike Novogratz of Galaxy Digital. He was one of our first podcast guests three plus years ago. Uh, the world was a very different place then. And um, over those three years, he's become more prominent in the world of cryptocurrency, um, something that people talk about a lot. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't, a blockchain to me, literally, I'm thinking of my, my son's Lego blocks, the big ones. <laughs> Every time, uh-huh. I swear uh-huh. to God. <laughs> blocks and a chain of those blocks. And that's my understanding. <laughs> and you're like, this is worth a lot of money? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, how does that translate to computer coding? Eh, sound like I understand. I don't understand. And, uh, you know, he, he, like many others, is very, very uh, a big advocate of how NFTs are going to change our world. I'm more concerned about how it might change our restaurant world and how we eat. And Chris and I have a not an in-depth conversation, but a conversation I think that moves the understanding needle for us by like one degree further to understanding. We're still <laughs> many, many degrees from understanding it. But, you know, I think it's something that everyone talks about. You hear it on the news. You read about it over and over and over again. But I think the fluency and true understanding of it is very, pretty far from me. And we talk about it. I don't think I'm going to jump into it probably ever as a project because I don't know what it is. Um, and I think I have a lot of questions that we get into with Mike. And currently we're recording this and, you know, people from all walks of life are complaining that their stock market, their 401k is getting destroyed and all of these things. And the one thing I know about Novogratz is he's one of the great investors. He's an extraordinarily generous individual. And he feels very, very strong about sort of the the forward projections of where we're going. So if he's not worried, I'm not worried and we shouldn't be worried in general, but I learned a lot in a short amount of time and there's so much more to learn, but I think it's, I think it's important. I think if you're somebody who listened to this for just food, give, give this a shot. Anyway, this is, I think that Dave is right. I think Mike's right. Like this is going to change everything. It's worth trying but to understand it. But, it. but I still am like, is it? It is though. I feel like we're, we're like, I, he says it at one point too. It's like, we're already living in the metaverse, man. But really, are we? I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to discredit any, I'm not, I just, I don't understand it. I, I do understand how it can make people money, particularly artists. I think this is something Mike talks about. I have a lot of reservations about this in the food world. I think there are some ideas that can be potentially revolutionary, but I don't know. Um, and we'll see, but there's a, a lot of questions. So I don't know. <laughs> a lot of, I don't knows. <laughs> well, let's listen to Mike. Yeah, listen to Mike, someone that does know. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I don't know if you want this on the uh, 
the podcast or not, but I was just with uh, Francis Malman and he had uh, advice for you. Yeah, let's hear it. I know because I, I did. I saw that you went to Uruguay. You went to see the great Francis Malman. Uh, tell me what happened. I said, I said, what do you think about David Chang? He said, I love David Chang. I haven't only met him a couple of times, but I love him. But if you know him, I got some advice for him. I said, what's that? He said, you know, he's so out there in his, and he's so raw on his TV that he's not keeping enough of the, the mystery. <laughs> he said, great, great chefs need mystery in life. Uh, and so like, you got to keep a little of the mystery. My wife's like, is that like lying? No, no, not lying. Mystery. <laughs> because, you know, he had a necklace on and he's got seven children and two wives and two other baby mamas and they all seem to get along. And so somehow he's, he's kept this mystery. <laughs> that was his advice. You need to keep a little more mystery. There are some things I will listen to from Francis Baldwin, and there are many others that I will not listen to from Francis Baldwin. Um, Meat cookery, you'll listen to. Yeah, life advice, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, but how was it, though? He was great. He's a great host, uh, a great chef, What a, a big personality. Uh, it's too long to fly down for four days, right? It's 11 hours and 11 hours. But... Uruguay's beautiful. The people were nice. His cooking was fun. It's such theater, right? The fires everywhere and his, his team. And so quite a privilege. And you're, and you're, you're like a man above the world. You're literally everywhere these days. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like following the Mike Novogratz travels. You are living the life that everyone wishes they could live, I guess. Right. Well, other than on days like today, when the stock market's down, the crypto market's down and everyone's yelling at you. But, you know, let's talk about that real quickly. I was just talking to one of our producers and she was like, oh, man, everything's down. And you are a, uh, you are one of the, the great financial minds out there. What, what's that? What advice for the ups and downs of where we're at right now? Like, I think it's it's unfortunately it's sober advice. We had a run, you know, post covid, the Federal Reserve in the United States and central banks around the world took a fire hose of money and started squirting it in the streets. And that made asset prices go high from, from watches that, you know, the hip hop guys are all buying uh, to art, to crypto, to stocks, to meme stocks, to real estate. And so when you push so much money into the system, everything went up and it made people think investing is easy, right? You talked about the, the, the democratization of finance, everyone can be an investor. Uh, investing is not easy. It's, it's hard and it's painful. Like I've studied 30 odd years and I'm still not great. Uh, it's hard. And so I think this is an unfortunate wake up. Uh, what's happened? They put too much money in the system. The Federal Reserve now has to take that money back. So they're going to make interest rates higher and pull some of that money back. And this paradigm that we've been in, which was free money for everyone, is going to change. And when the paradigm changes, confidence goes. And so all of a sudden, is Tesla really a $1.2 trillion company? We know it's a great company. We know we love driving Tesla cars. We know Elon is a visionary. But if it was a $400 billion company, it would still feel pretty good. And so we have this valuation gap that we don't know where it's going to find equilibrium. And in exciting times, you can take valuations to insane levels, right? Robinhood, which is a great company, became a $60 billion company. Now it's a $12 billion company, right? Peloton, which is a really cool 
technology bike platform was a $40 billion company. Now it's a $7 billion company. And so I think we're in for at least a few months, if not a year of sobriety, where investors, instead of buying the dip each time, are supposed to sell the rally and then buy. You have to sell then buy as opposed to buy then sell. Uh, And it's a completely difficult thing for people to get their head around because for the last every time you bought something, yeah, you might go down a little bit, but we always come back, right? And so everyone started feeling like they're great investors. And I think this is going to be a six-month period at least where people realize, ooh, that investing is not as fun as it looked like. Mm. Is this is this similar to 99 and when, when the bubble burst? It's a little bit. This feels like a little bit like 2000. And it doesn't mean, listen, I'm, I was at Time Magazine yesterday where Galaxy and Time are doing this joint venture around the metaverse. Uh, the Galaxy Time Metaverse 100. And I was in the green screen and I was so impressed with the guy who's running Time's Metaverse, his knowledge of everything that's happening and his foresight of what's going to happen and his whole team. And even the guys on the camera crew, they knew more about NFTs and how it's going to change things than I would ever dreamed about. And I'm seeing that everywhere. And so I've got no lack of confidence that this blockchain revolution, this move to the metaverse, this burgeoning crypto industry is going to keep growing and growing at an accelerating pace. I just think it's hard to figure out where these prices are going to settle for a while. And so, you know, we try to be long-term investors and long-term builders of a business. Luckily, we've raised a lot of cash. You know, we raised about $500 million of cash six weeks ago. And so we have, and, and, and I sold a lot of stuff. So we have a big cash hoard. And so I'm not going to have to worry so much if prices go down or prices go up. Uh, I don't think prices go down, collapse like they did in 2018. But the impetus for the crazy rally that we saw in stocks and crypto and in private equity and in, you know, the cost of everything has gone away. And so we're going to have a, a more sober six months. But things will rebound and get a new equilibrium. Yeah. Listen, the, the U.S. economy is booming. Part of putting all that money in and, and all the pent-up demand, you re-kickstarted the economy. And so you look at something like housing, which is a bedrock of our, our economy, we have a huge housing shortage. And so that industry is backlogged for years. Automobiles, we have a huge automobile shortage. So that industry is backlogged for years. So those things can't slow down almost. And so you know, one day this goddamn COVID will end and <laughs> the restaurant business will start booming again because all this pent up demand of tourism and travel. And so I'm not worried at all about the health of the U.S. economy. I am worried that the Federal Reserve was way too dovish too long and now has catch up to do. And inflation really is here and inflation hurts the middle class and the working class. Well, Mike, you know, we're not just a food podcast anymore. I think a lot of people from all walks of life listen, but still, like, I think a lot of people listen for our food understanding and takes. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that. I think a lot of my peers or the people that listen don't quite understand how this is all going to affect how they eat, how they go out, how they work at restaurants. So how does the the, the, the Fed Reserve impacts dining? I don't think it does a lot. I think COVID will impact dining more than the Fed. Listen, if if we go into a rich guy's recession, which what I mean by that is if the stock market falls another 20 percent, if private equity and, and venture funds don't do as well, 
rich guys might not feel like buying a $4,000 bottle of wine or an $800 steak. <laughs> and so that really high end, stupid level of dining, you might see impacted. But broadly, the dining that most Americans do, and even you know, good restaurants in New York, I actually think is much more correlated to, to getting through this COVID. So I'm kind of bullish because I literally think people want to reconnect. So we're going to get out of this. And I just, I mean, I talked to my friends and you're right. A lot, a lot of my friends still cook for the, as you say, the rich guy recession, but that does trickle down. I, I do see that. And I just don't know if it'll be, I don't know how many people listening remember 2000 and, 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 and the great recession, but you know, if that's not, if that's going to be mitigated, great. And, and, and that's one thing, but I wanted to talk to you about all of this blockchain stuff. We, we, we had you on the podcast a couple years ago. Um, and if you haven't listened to Mike's podcast, it's great. Next with Novo, he has some of the, the best minds in, in the NFT blockchain space. And I still don't understand what it is, how it is, and how is that going to change how we interact with food, go to restaurants, all of these things, the NFT stuff. So let's give it like NFT 101 for a second. So the brilliance of Satoshi Nakamoto, this woman who created blockchain and Bitcoin, was that she created the first digital signature that you couldn't counterfeit. Hmm. If you could just boil it down to that, before that, I could go on my computer, control, copy, paste, and make a thousand of whatever I wanted to. And now she said, no, this is, I can give it a unique identity. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. I know exactly which 21 million there are. And you can take that same concept to arts. An NFT is a, a non-fungible. So Bitcoin is fungible, right? 21 million Bitcoin, they're all basically the same. An NFT is, hey, one or 10 or a thousand, a, a non-fungible token. But it's the same concept. It's, I know this is a unique piece of intellectual property. And that's created a really cool scenario. So if I'm a digital native artist now, I can make a living by creating really cool things that are digital art. And I only need 500 people around the world to care about me. So if I can curate a community of 500 people or a thousand people, I can actually make a living. So now you have artists that are making good livings because they found 500 people that are a thousand people that'll care about what they are producing and they can authenticate what they're producing. Like This is it. And so you have whole fields showing up, right? The, the generative artists, everyone thought they just showed up yesterday. Well, they've been slaving away in obscurity for, for eight, 10 years. So what's generative art? Generative art is using, instead of paintbrushes or clay, using code to create art. So I'm an AI computer guy, and I say, okay, I want this to come up with a series of dots and lines that connect every, and all of a sudden the computer spits out a painting. That's been going on since 1950 with Saul Louette, right? Uh, with his uh, strings and, and spools uh, and creating art. Well, now these guys had a platform, right? There was a thing called Art Blocks, which was a platform for them all to show off their art. And people started saying, wait a minute, this is kind of cool. And started buying. I had this guy, Dmitry Cherniak, who's the most articulate spokesman on the on the planet on generative art at my house. And he was showing me stuff and I liked it. It was like seven, eight thousand dollars, and I was gonna buy it, but I didn't have my phone. And now now it's over a million. Like that was eight months ago. 
Indian. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how did that community happen? There were people that got interested. There were storytellers. Dimitri's an amazing storyteller. This guy Snowfro created this platform. I love the nickname Snowfro, uh, who's also a good storyteller. And so just like in the old days where museums and gallerists started explaining why there's value, this happened really fast on the Internet. And now, you know, generative art is being bought by museums. It's being bought by real collectors. It's a thing. And prices might go up or down, but the great stuff is really holding it value. And you're going to see that over and over. And so... NFTs really are a way to connect people to a community. Like if you just, if I just did a painting and sold it, it would sell for very little and go down in value. So the way they exist is you've got to have a community that keeps being curated, uh, energy putting into it. And, you know, we have this world of 7.8 billion people, two thirds that are connected to the internet. And there's so many, there's so much room for those kind of communities. And so in sports, Right. We have a joint venture with Major League Baseball at a company called Candy, where my brother Matt works. And all of a sudden, baseball already has a big, passionate community. But now you're starting to tie younger fans that weren't going to the games into these digital you know, uh, renderings of their players. And you're going to gamify it. And, and so sports is going to use this as a new revenue. Right? NBA made an extra $125 million last year from their NBA top shot but also as a way to tie people to the game. And so if you're a brand like David Chang and Momofuku and the cool looking peach, you have to be thinking, how do I use this new technology, this new platform to link my community together? And it's not easy. I spent a lot of time. I I had a great conversation with Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. And he called me up and I was like, dude, Rolling Stones. And, you know, he's an artist. And we were looking at his stuff and I was like, you just can't put the art out there. Like, how do you link your community? The Rolling Stones have a huge community. And so it really is about community. Like in, in the baseball one, I think we have three full-time people that just work the discord, uh, keeping those discussions alive. You know, like it's important to kind of create energy or the thing goes away. And so, you know, listen, I can't eat digital food. <laughs> yet, 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 yet. Uh, <laughs> But there can be experiences around restaurant companies that connect people through some, you know, NFT ecosystem. Well, Mike, I still need to get a better understanding of Web3, Metaverse, all of this stuff, crypto. Uh, I know Chris definitely does as well. Um, (laughs) And there's two things. One is I remember, I don't know, shit, probably was like eight, nine, almost 10 years ago where you were telling me. You're spending all this time studying World of Warcraft. And I was like, Mike, what are you doing? He's like, you don't understand, Dave. There's these swords and they're trading for like X amount of dollars. And I was like, Mike, you're out of your mind. How, how is this even relevant? Sure enough, you were studying the patterns that I think people are following today. Like something of value that a community really wants values and it goes up in price. I have over the past year plus had, I don't know at least a dozen inbound inquiries from people trying to say, let's do an NFT project, Dave. Let's do this. Let's do that. I have not done any of it because number one, I don't understand it. Number two, it seems to be an awful lot of money for a JPEG. (laughs) Number three, the only reason why I know 
there's something there is because like I've been following you, talking to you for all of this time. And I've seen you take this whole metaverse thing to where we're at today. Like it's been a, a remarkable thing to, to see. And I'm just trying to get a better understanding of where it goes after this. Lastly, the, the one reason why I am really apprehensive to do it is some of my friends have asked their opinion on this in the industry. And they do understand there can be seismic changes that can actually benefit the industry, right? Whether you can make some kind of token or whatever, where cooks can make more money, whatever. But the biggest issue for a lot of people, and I think that you have explained this time and time again, and I just don't think people understand, nor do I, what the environmental impact. So it's like, what's the, what's the, what's, how do you explain to somebody that this is okay? So the environmental impact is a non-story story. And it's one of those things that got thrown out there. Elon Musk actually did the space a disservice because he started talking about the energy usage and everyone crazy. Most companies that are mining Bitcoin and other crypto are all moving green because the world's demanding it, right? I can't, as a public company, say, oh, I'm going to go mine Bitcoin with coal, right? I'd get eggs thrown at me. And so you're seeing more and more, I think we're 80% of our Bitcoin mined uh, is now coming from green sources. And so that's going to be a, a non-problem for you to think about. So I'm up at Time yesterday, and they're looking at NFT ecosystems to invest in to create more media. Mark my words, there's going to be a CryptoPunk TV show, <laughs> right? Or And they look what Bored Apes did. Like Bored Apes was another avatar, cool living at apes. They have a club now. You need to have a Bored Ape NFT to get into the club, like Soho House, so a physical club they're building. And so, again, it's can you put energy into this community that you're creating and can you use these things? And all of a sudden they become like a social currency. So it's not just I'm going to put a JPEG out there. It's a JPEG plus. And it's that plus which really you're seeing. If we walked into a basketball stadium and decided we wanted to find people that had a real interest in Korean cooking, you're like, how are we going to find the people? There's 18,000 people. Am I going to put up a sign? People want us, but you can find that community really quick on the internet. And so you're able to create communities of like interest so much faster in the virtual world than you are in the physical world. And that's what you're seeing. Is this the, is this the, I, I am like Dave said, I am, there's something wrong with my brain where I cannot wrap my head around this. Like I try as I might, but like, so is the long term for the metaverse that it is this interconnected thing with reality where it's a layer on top of everything we're doing yeah it's there's something else going on as we are sitting at dinner these cool these glasses in about three years five years i don't know how many years i'm going to hit a button and then they're going to see an ar as well and so dave might always walk around like a badass with a peach just on his shoulder right just floating peach like it's like a piece of jewelry <laughs> it's like his thing he and, already does and like he probably would if he could wear a real peach, he'd tape it there, but that would look bad. <laughs> but if he had this like you, you know, this digital peach that walked around with him and you had the glass, you'd be like, fucking Dave Chang with the peach. Yeah. Uh so like we're gonna have this blend. It's happening. You know, put on the new Oculus, right? It's so much better than two years ago's Oculus, right? The VR set from Facebook. And in two years, it's gonna be that much better. And so when I I talked to these two genius NFT boys and I should have hired them and I was going to, and we were slow uh, and we were in Jackson hole. And I was like, I was thinking of the metaverse as like an amusement park to visit. 
And they're like, dude, you're so fucking old. Uh, <laughs> like we already live in the metaverse. And for Gen Z and below, right? The, you know what they call the generation after Gen Z? Gen glass. Because they grew up with glass, tapping glass their whole life, right? Your little, your little guy is a glass tapper. Uh, so they've already grown up with a phone. They were born with a phone. Even just the way you watch them type like 90 times faster than I do on these. And so this is happening if we like it or not. You know? Well, can you, can you talk about that actually? I mean, whether it's, whether it's, you know, a generational gap or, I mean, Dave, you know, I bet you, I'm sure that the cooking world itself has plenty of resistance to this because of that difference between like my whole career is putting something physical out there. I, I you know, I, I've eschewed other careers because like I'm putting something real in the world is this, like you said, it's inevitable, Mike. Like, what, what are people going to get left behind? Do we need to like, how does, how does this work? Whether you're, whether you're from a previous generation and can't, you're not from the glass generation or you're of a world that is grounded in the physical. I think if you're 70 or older, you're going to die without really experience a lot of the metaverse. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be amusement maybe, but as you get closer to zero, right? So if you look at that, you're going to get more and more engaged in it. One of the big macro themes that's happening is replacing labor with electricity, right? Replacing labor with computers or robots. If you think about fast food restaurants now, there's kiosks to order there. Like you could envision a world in the next few years when there's one, one labor, one person running a, a McDonald's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the robots today that we see, because we kind of see that we see a couple of years in advance, it's shocking how good their faces are. They look like you. It's scary as heck. It's like Westworld is already here. Mm. And so we're going to replace people over time. I don't know if it's two years or five years or 10 years. And so as people have more free time, because someone else is doing the crappy job of, you know, being the counter checker at McDonald's. They're going to have more free time. You're going to spend it more in play. And so like the video gaming business, I think, has a 30-year tailwind of just growing. Now, some of that's play. Some of that's going to be working, right? And so when you're playing, you might be a lonely guy who wants to flirt with a pretty, you know, Shanghai's hostess in in a cool cocktail lounge. I might actually, my avatar might be that Chinese girl flirting with you in the cocktail lounge. And you might be paying me in tips, just like you'd pay a normal bartenders. And that sounds crazy, but you're already seeing it happen. And it started happening like 15, 20 years ago with Second Life, where people would like, you know, have fake farms and sell fake tomatoes. To, and now it's, it's, it's exploding. And so that's kind of weird, right? For me, like I actually like the real tomato, not the fake tomato. <laughs> uh, but you're seeing it. And part of it is, just look how much time people spend on video games. The video gaming business is tons bigger than professional sports plus Hollywood. I don't think it's going to impact your industry nearly as much as others. There'll be some, not NFT, but just blockchain. Like, okay, you're the hottest new restaurant. When Co first opened up and you wanted to have a table, you might have a, uh, I can buy a share of the table. You fractionalize the table share. So there can be some economic paradigms that can change in things that are really in demand. But I do think food and eating is a, is a, is a non, <laughs> is a non-virtual thing. 
And so I think the restaurant industry probably has some efficiency gains and some marketing gains, but it doesn't change the core of I'm providing a place for people to get good food and nutrition and bond and have, you know, jovial conversations. And, and so I don't think it, it's as transformative in your space that it is in most. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Dave Chang and use the code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. That's code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. What about, so so Mike, I, I mean, you brought up very early on, you talked about Saul LeWitt as sort of like the, the first, uh, as, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, is already starting this sort of generative art thing. And I remember going to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and going upstairs to like the American Abstraction Exhibit and seeing this room with Saul Lewitt's like lines all over the walls in different directions and thinking this is such a cool thing. And then, you know, this is how dumb I am. I was like, how do they install this here? How do they move this room of lines from one museum to the next? And how do you buy this thing? And then I looked on the wall and I saw this instruction sheet. And I realized that the piece of art that Saul Lewitt was selling, or not selling, had created, was not the physical lines on the wall, but this instruction list of, here's how you make this art. You start at this point, and you draw this many radial lines this way, you draw them at this angle, then you go over here and just draw as many as you want here. So... I think about that and I think about how that sort of like, you know, uh, sort of predates or, or, or predicts the metaverse in some ways, you know, like this, this replicable thing and, and this single instruction. And then I think about recipes and ideas and sort of like uh, creative generation in that way. Is there some part for the metaverse or NFTs to play in this aspect of it, in, in the sort of sharing of creativity? So I always think about art and music as very different. Because in art, 
what gives it value is it's mine. No one else gets to see it, or they have to come to my house to see it, or I'll, I'll donate it to a museum so people can come see it there. Uh-huh. Right. So it's the scarcity. Where if I, you know, wrote, I want to hold your hand because I was, you know, Paul McCartney in an earlier life, you want everyone to listen to it. And so mm. it's the opposite of scarcity. Right. And so you have to figure out, like in food in general, you want people to participate in it. You're not going for scarcity. You're going for abundance mm-hmm. in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. And listen, if, if David created the best cocktail on the planet, he only wanted to let three people have the recipe. <laughs> and you probably could get some David Chang aficionados or cocktail aficionados that would pay a lot for that recipe. And you know, they'd own the original recipe. Now they could control, they could, they could put it on their Instagram and then everyone could see the recipe, but they actually own the original recipe. There, there might be something there. You know, I was on a panel with Quentin Tarantino and he was going to take some of the original Pulp Fiction script and create an NFT of it. And it's like, you know what the script is, but it's kind of cool to have the original-ish. Uh, I don't think those things sustain value. I think to sustain value, you need either community or you need something that's tied to a great emotion, right? Why most baseball memorabilia goes down is because no one remembers. That's why these NBA top shot highlights, I don't think will sustain any value. Who who cares about LeBron's 47th layup? (laughs) But you care about Babe Ruth's home run when he pointed, you know? And so I was talking to Cause, you know, the artist and I don't know if you remember, but about three years ago, Travis Scott did a concert on, uh, I believe it was on uh, Fortnite, mm-hmm. right? The, the video game that every kid was playing. Maybe it was four years ago. And millions of people showed up at this concert. It was the single largest concert, I think, ever, right? All digital. And Cause actually had done, I think, the album cover art for it. And I was saying, you know, if we had the NFT idea and if you had floated over this concert where people are watching a digital Travis Scott in the in the metaverse, if you had floated like a cause balloon, right, of his BFF or one of his characters, everyone who was at that concert would remember that and say, God, I want that balloon. That balloon would have a huge amount of value because it would re- invoke the memory of all those two million people or 10 million people. How many watched that damn video concert? just like any other art. And so in the long run, I think art has to invoke emotion and and collectibles have to, even if it's grandma's recipe. So you're saying maybe food and NFTs is maybe like when every business in 99 changed their name to Pizza 2000, (laughs) right? It's a little overblown. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Food and NFT is a little overblown. But a guy like you with a big brand, you can think through and do something cool with NFTs. There are not that many David Changs, not to blow smoke up your tush. There are not many David Changs in the food business, right? Can I, can I ask then, is there a way for me to do something in the NFT world that isn't self-serving, that is to benefit people other than myself? Because it seems to me like, how do you make it so it's not just like about one or two or a handful of people? Is it, is it a way to actually make it where the community does benefit or is that just an asinine question? I just don't understand. No, it's actually, listen, let me flip and give you some examples of where it happened. So my favorite story of 2021 in all of crypto was a thing called constitution down. There was a U.S. constitution that was going up for auction. People thought it might sell for 10 million, 15, $20 million. 
And so a bunch of crypto kids got together and set up a DAO. A DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. So think of it like a, a company with no people. And they created a governance structure for it. So some people were good. And they did it as a nonprofit. So you could donate to it to buy this constitution. And the story was pretty pure. Hey, help us buy the constitution. And then this group of governance will decide who, what, what museums it stays at. But it'll always be for the people, right? We the people. I mean, what a better beautiful idea. And they had enough to bid 43 million. And then this hedge fund guy who, who I once called the Grinch, he didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> Cause I thought he was just missing the moment. Uh, he bid 43.2 million in one, but, but think of that beauty. You crowdsourced $43 million on average, $200 a ticket to buy the constitution and give it back to the American people. And so you can at times use your celebrity, your platform to galvanize cool stuff in this new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my favorite. I, I would sit down with you over beers and, and brainstorm about something in the food space. You said at the beginning, I think you, you tweeted, I think at the beginning of the year that your New Year's resolution was to explain to the progressive leadership in Congress that that crypto is actually progressive. Can you can you start? with us (laughs) yeah so here's some facts two-thirds of crypto owners are actually democrat one-third republican that's kind of shocking more blacks own crypto as a percentage than whites uh more latinos own crypto as percentage and so people that had lost out or hadn't participated as much in the uh, financial markets leaned into crypto and so to start with the progressive voting base is more crypto than they think it is. Last year, American banks charged their customers $8 billion in overdraft fees. When's the last time you bounced a check? Okay, David's nodding his head because he's not as organized as he should. (laughs) (laughs) Dave's still writing checks. He's still out there just writing checks at the grocery store. Most people who bounce checks don't come from the upper class. Because you're trying to make ends meet and you're you run out of money and you're bouncing a check. $8 billion. That's a tax on the poor. The average ATM fee in America is over $3. Mm-hmm. So if I take money out for an ATM, it's usually you know $1,000 plus. If you're someone who's making $35,000 a year, you're probably taking out $50, $70. So that $3 is a much bigger percentage. And so ATM, that should all be free. Right. We, when I grew up, my mother would scream at me, get off the phone, because long distance phone calls, you're calling your friend in the next county, let alone in the next state, was really expensive. I have a friend from college. We lived in Germany and he called his mom and my parents never let him live a dad. Like, you know, in our family, he was like persona non grata because three three dollars a minute. And he spent eight minutes on the phone. Uh, <laughs> you might as well just peed money down the, the, the toilet. Right. Uh, now it's all free. Banking services, money transfer services should be the same way. And it already is in crypto. And so we're going to see this migration of payments and banking into a wallet-based crypto system that is going to lower cost for working class and middle class people. That's progressive. It's going to cut out the record producer in between, or not the producer, the, the record company in between the creative and their audience. It's already seeing it with NFTs, right? They're creating their own audiences direct. 
right? Artist to consumer. And so in lots of ways, cutting out the middleman. I mean, in some ways, I'm a businessman and I'm a rent taker and crypto goes right after guys like me. And so I think you're going to see both parties shift much quicker to being pro-technology and pro-crypto. I can tell you, Mike, that a lot of the Latino cooks at the restaurants, um, people that I know that are from Mexico or El Salvador, they send their remittances back to their home countries in crypto. You know, it's already happening and they're more well-versed in crypto than just about anybody else I know. It's ha- and that's when I was like, wait a second. Secondly to that, I know some people that work in restaurants that were in crypto and they're having these moments where like, I own more, I'm more wealthy than the restaurant owner and the chef because they own a board ape. I know a guy that owns five, five board apes. He's like, well, I don't know what to do anymore. So this is one of the things that's been interesting. We have, and I don't, sometimes problems get solved by markets. Uh, and I hope markets don't go down so much that those problems get solved. But you've had this new generation, like there was $2 trillion of crypto wealth created in the last three years. A lot of that's owned in Board Apes and in Luna tokens and in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And there's a bit of luck component to it, right? Your friend told you to get in early, you bought it, it goes up 40 X. You're like, oh my God, I got 10,000 bucks, I have 100,000, I got a million bucks. And so I always advise people, sell some. Like <laughs> if it's too big of a portion of your net worth, sell some. If you can afford to put a down payment on a house, buy the house. You'll always have a place to live. Like, you know, and so I, I don't think anyone's else should all be crypto by any stretch. But you've seen lots of young people make lots of money and, and they think, oh, I've made enough to check out. Well, if they sell it, maybe. Uh, I think you're going to see volatility in a lot of that stuff. And so maybe it's solved by the board apes not being worth as much as they think they are. Listen, millennials have the least amount of wealth of any group between kind of 28 and 40 of any of the generations ever in the last 50, you know, 100 years, right? Why? Because they came out of school right into 9-11 and then they had the 08 financial crises and, and their parents have lived longer, so they haven't given them the money. And so if you look at the average 40-year-old today, much, much less wealthy than the average 40-year-old in Gen X or, or baby boomer. And so what's interesting is at least in crypto, you're seeing the young people win some. It's, it's a small rebalancing because crypto is a small part of the economy, but it is at least, you know, young people winning over old people. Can I, can I ask an insanely dumb question? I have this like uh, existential fear, Mike, that I am basically that seven, I'm, I'm in that 70 years and up group. It's too late for me. I'm going to miss the whole curtain crypto metaverse for the next 40 years of my life here. What should I, if, if I'm, I actually, I, it's a dumb question, but I actually think there are a lot of people like me who are, you know, late thirties and like, I don't know. I feel like I missed the boat a little bit. What do I do? What do I, what's like the first thing I should, should I just buy some crypto of any sort? You should, you should get a crypto wallet, right? Okay. And an account and you should get a MetaMask wallet so you can buy NFTs and take a small amount of your money and start playing with it. Like, find an NFT you like, look at the community, like just buying one and then sending it to a friend and like experimenting with it. You'll start understanding it some, you know, people say it's going down the crypto rabbit hole. Once you start, you learn to get sucked in and it's like Alice in Wonderland and you might as well take an LSD. And <laughs> <laughs> um, There's something true to that. 
if you don't use it, you'll never understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, send, send uh, David a hundred bucks uh, of Bitcoin uh, as a Christmas present. Yes, please do that. Thank you. <laughs> and just to figure out like, okay, I got it on this wallet. I said, oh, was that easy? It cost me 12 cents. Okay. You know, here's a, you can send them a hundred bucks for 12 cents or you can send them a million bucks for 12 cents. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you're really feeling generous, uh, <laughs> he's on the naughty like, list. Wow, wow. That's really easy. And so that's the best way to start. I mean, as an investor, I would tell you, you know what, wait a month or two and then put 2% of your net worth into Bitcoin and buy our stock and, and buy some Ethereum. And that's enough because we're kind of doing everything to get much more deep as an investor. It takes a lot of effort. All right. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm in the metaverse We're going to do a summary just to see how sold you are and how much you understand later, Chris. When, <laughs> please when, when don't. We let Mike please go. don't. I'm meta, Chris. Mike, I don't want to take any more of your day. I know it's a busy day in the markets too. So I, I appreciate you coming on board, letting us uh, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, the metaverse, cryptocurrency. But before I get you out of here, the one project that I know you're ex- maybe more passionate about than cryptocurrency is is prison reform. Where, where are we at on this? You know, we had amazing momentum. And then we were kicked in the nuts with steel-toed boot with three words, which were called defund the police. You know, 98% of people in the movement didn't really want to defund all the police. They wanted to shift resources into community-based programs so we didn't put as many people in jail. But that defund the police with the rising crime really set prison reform back. And so I think now it's retrenching. I think we won the argument, we being this big community of people, won the argument to the American people that our system is unjust and uneconomic and mean-spirited and stupid. No one disagrees. But safety trumps everything, and people don't feel the safe in the big cities anymore. Some of that's reality. Some of that's a narrative that the Fox News has spin. But listen, it's a reality. My wife doesn't feel as safe in New York that she did three years ago. Uh, that's not because of prison reform, but who cares? Because prison reform has kind of lost that narrative. And so I think the next phase for me, and I hope for the whole industry or whole movement, is to make sure people feel safe, but also to say it's not working and this works better, like the solutions. But it's easy to say it's broken, it sucks, you still have to do something. To me, the solution is really simple. It's shifting a system of trauma and degradation to one of rehabilitation, one of trauma repair. You're taking traumatized people, we should heal them. So we need a healing system. That sounds counterintuitive. A lot of people think they should suffer. They, they stole bread from me or they did something horrible. They, they, they shot someone, they raped someone, they should suffer. I think we should take their liberty for a period of time, but we should heal them so they can come out and be productive citizens. Uh, I'm wearing my mushroom sweater. You know, psychedelics are becoming really a, a major tool for healing people. Uh, that's why we're investing in all these you know, psychedelic companies. There's lots of ways people can get healed. Our prison system doesn't have that mindset. And until we do, we're going to be in this, you know, backwards ass, you know, if you just go to a prison and walk through it, it, it they are horror places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's there's no reason America should lead the, the world by like 8x in prison. You know, like 
That's that's not what we should be bragging about. But could you explain explain that really quickly? What you said in the beginning there, Mike. That just I, I just want to have this clear for our audience because, like you said, I think the vast vast majority of people who supported you know defund the police are politically aligned with prison reform. How did how did defund the police end up derailing prison reform? You know, America's a center right country. If you walk from New York to L.A., you will notice we are not. Canada's the center-left country. We're a center-right country. And people want to feel safe. And so saying defund the police and saying get rid of the police, it was just so easy for the narrative to say, what's going to happen if a burglar comes to my house? There's not going to be a policeman to call. And so this false narrative of hysteria started, and it scared people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, we had a rise in crime. Uh, we had a rise in crime for reasons that are not so clear to people. Some of it was COVID and unemployment. Some of it was anger at this in, this uh, inequality gap. But in cities that did prison reform, in cities that didn't do prison reform, in red and blue cities, you've seen violent crime spike for the first time in a long period of time. And that scared people. If it was reform of the police, we'd be mm-hmm. in a very different place. Mm-hmm. I think everyone thinks you should reform the police but defund them red as get rid of them. And it's a little bit like, you know, a lot of people in the prison reform business call it abolitionism, right? We, we were abolitionists. And I was like, yeah, it's another bad word. Hmm. Uh, yes, we should close some horrible prisons, but we're not going to live in a place where we don't keep dangerous people segregated from non-dangerous people. Now, if they're not dangerous for their whole life, there's a very tiny, tiny subset of sociopaths that literally need to be kept separated their whole lives. Most people do stupid things when they're young, really horrible things sometimes. They usually it's coming out of trauma. They traumatize other people, but they are healable in some period of time. If it's three years, five years, 10 years, very rarely more than 15 years. Uh, we have these idiotic, you know, 80 year sentences, 40 year sentences. We have 60 year old men still in jail who, at this point, you know, the statistically commits zero crimes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in New York City, it now costs five hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year to keep someone in Rikers. And that's because the prison reform got a lot of people taken out of jail. But the police unions kept fighting for more guards, the, the prison unions. And so now it's the most absurd setup I've ever seen. I'm just like, I almost quit. I'm like, ah, and our bureaucracies are really tough. So on the left, you have the left in bed with all the unions, teachers union, prison union, police, well, not police union, uh, but <laughs> scared of the unions, you know. And so the right, you got big money coming in from the other side. And so until we start having a practicalist approach, I'm not as optimistic as I'd like to be. Well, listen, I don't think we're going to get any answers, but if you've been listening and you don't understand much about cryptocurrency still or the metaverse or NFTs <laughs> and JPEGs, I think uh, this is this is the more uh, important subject for you to take away is that it's a, a still a broken system and we still need more efforts to, to fix this. Uh, so, Mike, I love you to death. Uh, thank you for joining us. And um, your podcast is out uh, next with Novo. I mean, you took a little bit of a break. Is it is it back on schedule? I'm going to start again. I've got this list of like 50 people. I said, I wish you do a podcast. They said, yes. And, you know, I, I, I did it for fun. Uh, <laughs> and I have fun doing it. And without the discipline of uh, any good media company or any real. And so I'm going to try to get back on 
schedule because I like doing it and the, and the people have enjoyed being on it. Um, and I feel it's a good, good way to kind of build community myself. And so next week I'm going to, I think, try to try to do three or four of them. And so at least, at least getting some content back out there. Good, good. All right, man. We'll let you get out of here. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thanks. Awesome. Mike. Chris, good meeting you. David, love you. All right. That was the great Mike Novogratz. Um, if you want to read about his insane life, you, there's a great New Yorker profile about him. Um, Gary Steingart wrote Gary it, I Steingart, believe. yeah. Amazing novelist and writer. Yeah. Novo is a very unique, special person and one of the most generous people. And I love I love him. I, I, I don't understand really what he's still talking about. My 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 understanding of his understanding of the metaverse is the same when he told me, like, dude, there's these swords on World of Warcraft. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Novo? And I still have a, a lot of uh, questions. Um, you know, Yang, I told you, like, I, I haven't done anything. I don't know if we will do anything because I still want to get more answers about this space because it seems to me just like a, I don't know if it's the right thing for us to do or to look yeah. at. I mean, you know, you asked the question to Mike and I think you've, you've asked it. We've had, you know, private conversations about this and I think it's, it's, it's not, you're not blown smoke at all. Cause I think that each time one of those inbounds have come about, Hey Dave, let's do an NFT. Your first answer has always been like, I don't want to do this thing. If it's just greed, it has to like lift up the industry. This to Dude, me, let's seems do, like let's do this restaurant and you can do this, this, and this. Yeah, I'm like, we'll just gouge uh, these people. Sounds, <laughs> it just reminds me over and over and over again. Le Cirque is changing the name to Le Cirque 2000. <laughs> And Le yeah. Cirque was like this very, whether it was amazing or not, a very influential, important restaurant in New York City that is no longer with us. And they changed their name to Le Cirque. It used to be in the New York Palace Hotel, Le Cirque 2000. And that's been what I've, has been going through my head over and over. Because not that it was necessarily a bad idea. I don't think anyone understood what the hell 2000 actually meant, the Y2K. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to discredit anything. I just don't understand it. And I still have a lot of questions um, about this, about the environment, about all these things. Like, I just feel like before anyone should do anything, including myself, to do more homework, maybe it will feel right. Maybe it will be right. Maybe the circumstances will be right. But I don't know if it's right for us or me. Maybe Momofuku decides to do it. I don't know. But we'll see. I think we're in the beginning stages of something. And the reason I can't tell you, I, I, I don't even understand how to explain, explain it to you in two sentences. We've tr- you've tried <laughs> because you've I don't tried. and you don't, but I, I think, uh, you know, someone like Novo will continue to, to help us understand and we'll see where it all goes. Um, but if Novo says that it'll probably be overrated and have the impact of the food world, I think probably he, right. He's, he's probably right. He's just like another one of the, another one of your friends though, Dave, that we talked to on this podcast where I'm like, I'm glad this guy's out there doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad this guy's doing it. Prison reform, take care of that command. Thank you for doing it. All right, guys. Um, go check out Mike. He's on newscast everywhere because he's like the crypto dude. And is and uh he, he runs Galaxy Digital and he has his podcast next with Novo that you can find on any podcast platform and give him five stars and give us five stars on Spotify and on Apple. That's it. Thanks, guys. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. 
Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 